0: You're listening to Coding Blocks, episode 107. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and more using your favorite podcast app. Uh, Leave us a review there or, you know, press the the like or the plus or the thumbs up or like whatever it offers. Uh, We would greatly appreciate it if you would.
1: Yep. And visit us at codingblocks.net where you can find all our show notes, which are extensive and glorious. Discussions, examples, and much more. And, and send or, your feed. Huh?
2: Oh, jeez! Hey,
1: it's still my turn. It's Way to it. go. My Aww. initials are right there. You're Aww, listening man. to Coding Blocks, episode <laughs> one. <laughs> That's right. Send your feedback, questions, and rants to comments at
2: codingblocks.net. And I was just so excited to tell you about all our fiery hot takes over on Twitter at Coding Blocks. And also, the we this website thing, We can go to Coding Blocks.net and find other social links at the top of the page. Our W hey, www,
1: man. dub. Nobody I, does that. Nobody yeah, does that. they do. I always type in www. You w- still w-
0: type in the https colon forward slash
1: forward slash? Do you really? Don't hate i type real fast. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, with that, I'm Joe Zach. I'm Michael Outlaw. And I am the typer, Alan Underwood. This episode is sponsored by
0: Datadog, the monitoring and security platform for end-to-end visibility into your Java applications. And Linode, simplify your infrastructure and cut your cloud bills in half with Linode's Linux virtual machines. And Shortcut, formerly known as Clubhouse, you shouldn't have to project
2: manage your project management. All right. And today we are continuing on for the last segment on PagerDuty security training for engineers talking about session management. Are you sure? But first, I think so. Is that not right? Can we can we address what Alan
0: is the typer of?
2: Ooh. Static. All things. I, I, I overly type everything. <laughs> Uh, well, uh, I mean, if we're already off track, I might as well tell you all a joke. <laughs> <laughs> please, please. You want to hear a joke right here, right here at the beginning? I apologize if this is your first episode. It's always like this. All right. Uh, how many programs does it take to change a light bulb? Uh, none. That's a hardware problem. All right. Excellent job. And uh, I told you there was one joke, but it's actually two because, uh, <laughs> you know, off by one errors. So, how many programs does it take to. <laughs> change a light bulb wait say it again uh it's the same joke Uh, how how many programs does it take to change a light bulb none it's a hardware problem uh zero because they like dark mode oh Uh. same joke two different answers uh i thought i thought you were like tricking me
0: like i like i didn't hear it the first time like i already answered that question joe like move on
1: to the next joke yeah, we are getting old. We we might have forgotten.
2: <laughs> now, speak for yourself. <laughs> and these were students by Chris uh, uh, Rathod. So hopefully I pronounced that right. Sorry about that. Uh, but yeah, those are some excellent jokes to start off the show. Super awkward. Let's go.
1: <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, with that, we'd like to thank those who took the time to leave us a review. Um, uh, we're not very thankful this time, apparently. <laughs> so yeah, I don't know if <laughs> we
2: forgot to look it up or maybe we didn't get it either
0: way. No, no, no we did. But wait a like, introduce, make this section, like, super awkward.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs>
0: yeah, so, like, peer,
1: peer pressure time. Listen,
0: all the all the listeners were busy on Game Jam. They didn't have time to go leave in a review, and some
1: newfangled review somewhere. That's or right. they couldn't understand the country DJ voice. It was one of the two. Oh yeah, uh, yeah, we did do that. <laughs>
0: yeah. We should have run Whoa. them. Is that uh, too? You know, and be like, well, in front of iTunes, uh, I'd like to give a big, a uh, big shout out, big thank you, and a big yeehaw to uh, you. Can say this nickname, and uh, you know, also thank you, Tammy Sue, for that uh, latest review. Uh, greatly appreciate it. That, that's actually pretty good. Don't forget to stop by Curtis's Chicken Pit. Uh, still a sponsor. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Excellent! Excellent. <laughs> and, hey um you know we'll, we'll do better next year i sorry this year let's just let's just call it and just try to get through <laughs> we it just and then started next year year <laughs> next year is that that can't be true
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we're two episodes deep well, you know <laughs> we're I guess, so. Next I guess
2: so year you know honestly uh so you bury is over now the event has concluded we're still going through voting, so I'm not gonna talk about the games yet but i guess, yeah. you know that's honestly, that's all I cared about this year. So next year, I'm already planning what I'm going to do, but we'll talk about that later. And we'll talk about some of the, some of the games uh, after the, the submission period is, uh, or the, the voting period is ended rather. So, uh, yeah, it was amazing. You got We'll have a link in the show notes. You can go check out and play, uh, 46 new games in the world made up of, made up, made from, uh, 46 teams and individuals. Uh, all are amazing. Especially, if there's one, uh, there's, uh, a surprise too. If you uh, play a game called Eat My Dust, uh, there's some, uh, we'll call it Coding Blocks Audio um, that you should check out. It's interesting. That's excellent.
0: You know, I was going to say, like, for the next game jam, because this has been the, you know, we've we've done two game jammers. And this has been the second one in a row now where one of us has gotten pulled away, uh, you know, due to, like, other, uh, you know, uh, work-life balance things get in the way, right? Next year, I still I absolutely want to keep doing game jam. It's awesome. But we need to figure out a way to where like the three of us could just be a single like submission, you know, working together. So that way, like if one of us is like, oh, man, I got to get, you know, I got to go check out this thing for work or whatever, you know, uh, then, you know, I got to go pick up the kid from school or something, you know, like it's not it's not like a big pressure. Like, oh, my gosh, I'm missing like all the time in the world to like, you know, I can't I am. they're never going to get this amazing game
1: done. Hey, you know what we need to do. So thinking about that, I was actually thinking about that this year. <clears throat> because, you know, it, there there's all kinds of things that pull us in, in all kinds of directions, right? We need to rent a hotel room somewhere and bring some laptops. You know, assuming in-person COVID live Twitch. In person, live Twitch game jam. And, oh, and assuming brother. COVID Zeta Zeta Alpha Beta Omega isn't a thing at the time, like, let's just lock ourselves in a hotel room for, for a solid, you know, three days and we'll drink beer and eat pizza and, and code. Hotel management is
0: going to look at us funny.
1: Oh, it's going to be bad, right? <laughs> but but that's what we need to do, right? Like that would be totally. I, I think it would be fun. It might be fun.
2: Yeah. Um, oh no, that's amazing. My, although, uh, today, say three days of eating pizza, my back is already hurting just thinking about it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know all why. Right.
1: There'll be some cheeseburgers too, and maybe some dots pretzels. We all can right. we Ooh. can mix all that in. I know right? how we can,
0: I know how we can talk Joe into
1: this, Joe. I will bring you your very own bag of cheese dust. Oh yeah, of oh, course. I'm in too. Uh, all right, so so next year that's what we need to plan on. Or maybe maybe this summer if we're tired of being stuck in our houses again. Maybe maybe we'll do like a, a I don't know.
0: We said we were oh. going to do another a second game jam during <laughs> last year and we never did. So well I'm, yeah, I'm not convinced that we'll do it again this. Uh, second I'm not convinced one. either.
1: But we can say the next time that we do a game jam, we're going to try and get together and and just making it something fun to where we lock ourselves down completely. Yeah, right? but
0: really what got me thinking about it, though, too, is that, like, last year and again this year, I noticed that, like, there were several submissions that were by teams of people. And I was like, oh, that's a neat idea. Like, we mm-hmm. should have done that.
2: Yeah, yeah. I like it. It's uh, I was tempted to make a longer window and say, like, you know what, just take a month, but don't spend a month on it. You know, spend like some amount of time that you're comfortable with, but, like, you have a bigger window. But then people are doing it at different times, so you don't get that kind of energy and stuff. So there's I don't know, some things to figure out. Also, I, I'm really interested in doing a different kind of jam, like maybe a web jam or um, they have, like, coding for charity events and stuff. And so I'd, I'd like to do something – it'd be cool to be able to just, like – spread it out so if you you don't want to make games but you do like make in websites or something then maybe there's something we could figure out to do that
0: alright uh, now we're talking my business line of business apps here we come
2: yeah there you go
1: <laughs>
0: right is that a jam line of business app jam wait there's, there's, there's a jam. name for
1: that they're not jams they're uh hackathons hackathons, hackathons yes thank you yeah. I knew there was a term yeah, yeah so we can figure something out
0: joke, it doesn't, like who I wouldn't want a line a business app jam <laughs> that sounds awful <laughs> yeah.
2: Yes, you would. Don't lie. <laughs> it's true. I like Sasham. I Make some money. <laughs> cool. All right. All right. So we're, we've planned it out. We're good to go now. All right. So we're gonna talk about some security things.
1: Yep. So so we are picking back up on the pager duty thing. Um, this is episode twenty three of the ten page thing of pager duty. So uh, yeah, we're we're actually gonna wrap it up this time. So. Where we're going to jump back in now is session management, um, and this one's interesting because if if you are either new to web programming or if you've never really thought about it, session on the web is kind of it's kind of like a bolted on thing because the web on its own is stateless, right? Like HTTP pages don't have any state; like they don't know that you're a user or anything. And that's a nice way it, of saying it's a pain in the butt. Right. I mean, and, and they ended up bolting things on over time, right? Because HTML is hypertext markup language. It was for display purposes. Right. And after they did that, they were like, oh man, well, we could, we could make this thing to where people could use apps online and that kind of stuff. And so they had to come up with ways to make that workable. And really all we're talking about when we're talking about state or session management is being able to identify a user over multiple requests, right? Like you load page one, then you go to page two. Am I the same person that was on page one? That's, that's all we're talking about. Um, and so the way that they got around this, and this goes back many, many years, right? Is they have these things called cookies, which are more or less just text files that are stored on your computer But it stores pieces of information that when you make another request back to the server, it passes information from that cookie along. And then that server looks at it and says, oh, okay, this is the same person that was on the previous page. Right. And that's generally how it's done. And it all happens behind the scenes. And most people don't ever think about it, look at it, concern themselves with it. So um, I'll let one of you
2: guys pick up from there. Got it. Uh, you know, I was just thinking, um, you ever think about how hard it is to even determine what a, a session is? You know, so if, if you got data come in, you've got to kind of decide if I see a, a new request from a user, how do I know this is another session or not? Like, well, you know, is there a time window? And, it, you know, if so, like, is there a database somewhere that's kind of, you know, keeping track of this stuff? And it's really tough and it's nice that web frameworks kind of to handle this. So I haven't had to think about how to do that in a long time. But if you are ever getting down to, like, streaming events or anything, like, this becomes a kind of a thing where you have to kind of decide on, like, windowing, basically, and what exactly constitutes a session. So it's a really tough and interesting problem, I think, especially once, you know, we talk about trying to keep performance good and keep, th- keep things in memory and trying to decide how to do that. And um, I'm glad I don't have to do that very often.
1: Well, it's interesting that you said that with the rolling windows because <clears> – <throat> Anybody that's not familiar with that term, they probably don't even really know what that means. But to put it in perspective, let's say that you log into a site and you're supposed to be alive for 30 minutes, right? Well, if you go hit another page on that site after you're logged in, then it kind of resets it, right? And that's what he's talking about with the rolling window. So, you know, I stayed on page one for five minutes. So technically I have 25 more minutes before I get logged out. But if I click on another link and I go to another page, then that kind of resets the window and I'm I'm alive again for 30 minutes. And what's really interesting is behind the scenes, and all three of us have dealt with this over time, is depending on how your session state is handled on the back end, it can be really complic complicated to do this kind of stuff, right? Like if you have a server web farm, like it, I, I know we used to deal with this back in the past. You have you have a web farm and if you have, I don't know, let's say five servers that are serving things, um a lot of times what you do is you'll cheat and you'll have these things called sticky sessions, right? Meaning that if, uh, if you log in somewhere, then you're always going to be on that first web server, right? Let's say that that's what you logged into. Every request that you hit is going to hit that first web server. But if for some reason that first web server goes down, you're going to get switched over to web server two and you just lost your session. If it wasn't implemented in a way to, to push that stuff across. You can actually go in and set it up to where the state is shared amongst all the servers, but then that's another thing you have to manage. So there's actually a whole lot that goes into keeping a session alive and running.
0: Well, I can give you a couple of examples to illustrate both of those, like real world examples that you've definitely seen. <clears throat> Regarding the rolling window, think of any kind of financial application that you've ever logged into, right? And like you go, you log into your bank, and if you don't touch anything, eventually you get a screen like, Hey, we're gonna automatically log you out. Are you still there? And they'll like pop up a pop up, and you know, eventually log you out if you don't respond to anything, right? So that would be like an example of the rolling window. Because if you're if you keep the activity up, then it doesn't ever prompt you with that, right? It's only after it after an inactivity period has passed uh, that it would eventually log you out. the The session, the shared session versus sticky session thing. If you've ever been to, um. Well, I guess this isn't exactly a, an idea of, of sticky session necessarily, but if you've ever seen sites where like, like I'm thinking of like e-commerce sites specifically where maybe you go to on multiple devices and on one device, you add one thing to the shopping cart and on another device, you don't see that shopping cart because there isn't a shared session for your user ID. But for example, an amazon.com doesn't have that problem, right? Like you go, you know, whatever you add to your cart on your phone, if you're then like, Oh, let me go to my tablet. You still see the same shopping cart. You then go to your, your laptop, you see the same cart, right?
1: Th- that may not be a shared session though. That might just be pers- persisted information based off your user ID, right? Like, th- yeah,
0: are- I was just trying to like use it as an example right. of like, you know, where you might, but yeah, technically you're right.
1: Yeah. But it, it, I mean, really, in the end, it's just it's way more complicated than what you think. And like Joe said, it's really nice that a lot of these frameworks and and languages out there now kind of just do it all for you. Like You don't have to think about it that much.
2: You know, a really common way to do that for web is to basically um, store a session token. So the person comes in, if they don't already have one, you create one. And then it's some random string and you can kind of set a timeout. And so if they don't come back and do something else within that timeout, that session will expire. And then later, if they come back with an expired session, then you let it go. And it's nice because you have control over that. And some of the streaming stuff for your examples we we're talking about, like a lot of times that's, that'll happen like after the fact. So you don't have the ability to kind of inject this token. That's kind of something that, uh, that makes this problem a lot easier uh, on the web, but that's kind of like the, the most common uh, technique for it. We have to be really careful not to store any sensitive information though in that cookie. Uh, that's something my first job on the web uh <laughs> th- we used to have like user permission so like an admin could log in and do this stuff or customer service whatever so all the developers uh we could just go in and edit the cookies to make ourselves an admin or make ourselves customer service or whatever just because you know it was an easy way to test and uh you know i was like being a new program never was like oh okay well that's pretty cool not really thinking about the security or anything and luckily uh no one no one was thinking about security back then so this <laughs> is a long time ago but uh, yeah, that was, that was pretty cool. So I always th- kind of think about that and uh, how important it is to not allow that. <laughs> okay. So am I
0: being silly and naive though? Cause like you're saying like, m- you know, modern web frameworks, like you don't have to worry about this thing. And I'm like, wait, no, 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 no. This is like a th- problem that has to be solved before you even get to the, w- to the web server. Right. Because at like a load balancer level, right. If you have, go back to Alan's example of five web servers, right. Right the way the sticky session works is it's at the load balancer level that it knows, Oh, this IP auto always goes to, I'm always going to route him to web server three. Right. <clears throat> and so uh, if you were going to do any kind of sh- session shared, you know, or, or like session management, that would be, uh, that would be among all of them. It would either be, you know, maybe not in front of the, you know, maybe not a load balancer kind of issue, but it would have to be something else to where like all of those, f- uh, web servers are like reading, writing. So, like maybe a key value store, right? A shared key value yeah, store. Yeah, shared network. That yeah. that is on a different. That might be its own cluster. That all of those are using, right?
1: Yeah. So I like in the .NET when when we were doing .NET um, stuff before, like in .NET framework they actually had a session state server that you could stand up. Right. And then each one of the web servers could use that and it's backing store could be SQL server. It could be something else. Right. So, um, that was one way to handle it, but you're right. You you have to think about that. But I think with a lot of frameworks out there, I'm not sure about like Django and things like that, but I'd be surprised if there's not configuration built into where they're like, Hey, um, make your session state store a Redis, um, instance or or like you said some sort of key value store like aws dynamo db or something like that right like there yeah i'm sure there's
0: with dotnet you could set it up as dynamo db we we did that once before
1: right so so really nowadays it's more configuration than actually having to set up the things like back in the early days you would actually have to be like okay well we're going to write this stuff to a database and then we're going to write an application layer that'll check to see if you have your stuff and then go load it. Like all that's dumb for you nowadays. You don't have to worry about it that much.
0: Okay, So, so I was just being dumb and naive then because I thought you were saying like, oh, hey, if you're using like Angular 12, then guess what you get? And I'm like, what? No, how could it even know? to do- Like it, that can't no. be. No. Nah. Okay. Nothing like that. That makes a lot more oh. sense. See, hey, so the wh- listeners that, did, that didn't know some of these terminology either, I'm like right there with them. I'm like, yeah,
2: <laughs> go get them. <laughs> Yeah, it's been like, you don't have to come up with something new here. Right. There's something buttons the framework.
1: It's probably configuration driven, but it is going to be your server tier that you're going to have that stuff in, But it's right? been
0: configuration driven for like over a decade a though.
1: Yeah, yeah. A while now. I mean, it's been a while. Um, but when Joe was saying that, you know, you'll have this session token and whatever, again, this is something that happens behind the scenes that you probably don't see. If you don't go digging in and looking at your cookies and that kind of stuff, you don't even know this thing exists, right? Because- if it's being done right, you're not seeing it in the in the web request. You're not seeing it anywhere except in the headers that are getting passed back and forth typically, right? So so you're not seeing it. And when he was talking about modifying things in the cookie, like he was actually going onto the file system it, wherever the browser puts its cookies and modifying the text. Go ahead. Well, I mean, like, because because you said it's part of like the headers,
0: but not the web. You, you wouldn't see it as part of the web request, but technically those headers are part of the web it's request. In.
1: You wouldn't and, see it in the URL, I guess, is what I was meaning, right? Like, you yeah, you see, wouldn't see it as a query
0: string parameter, right? Well, right. except maybe in like the old 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 days, maybe, which is bad. Yes, but you yeah. could like you didn't you don't necessarily have to modify the cookie. You could like go in and modify that request and replay that, and right. you know,
1: all of a sudden, hey guess what? I can be Joe. Yep. So, so what he was saying about don't put sensitive information in there. That's, that's big for a couple of reasons. One, um, you don't want people getting access to like PII personally identify identifiable information or anything like that. But also they said, when you do things like that, it makes it much harder to revoke those cookies. So, um, you know, try and keep them lean. It really, the session information, the session token, and that's about it. And then store everything else on the server that it can retrieve whenever you go to make those requests. All right. So the next thing that we have, and this one's kind of interesting, this is fun. This has been going on for a long time is session hijacking. Um, And so basically this is when somebody guesses or steals the session identifiers and they basically put that, session token on their system. And then they can act like they're logged in as somebody else. Right. So if outlaw logs in on some website and he's got session ID one, two, three, and I'm like, Ooh, I bet it's session ID one, two, three. I go recreate that cookie locally for me. If I go hit a page, the server's going to think it's him. Right. And then I can do everything that he has rights to do in the system from mine. And that's more or less what it is in a nutshell.
0: I don't know what else yeah. we can say about that.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's that's I, don't to, say, I don't
2: know. Do. Uh, I, 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 I
0: feel very much like Forrest Gump when I said. That. <laughs> that's all I got to say about that.
2: Uh, so um, this is something that used to come up uh, a lot too uh, back in the day. I haven't really heard a, a whole lot about it, but uh, sex- session fixation, which I've never heard it called that. But the idea is that a, a bad actor will create a session and then I uh, essentially get a user to kind of take it over after they've created the session. And then that person will go and log in. And, hey, the person who originally had the, the session is now also logged in because they're kind of the same person. And um, I don't know. I, I guess we'll find out here in a minute. But um, I remember we used to hear a lot about that at, like, schools and stuff. So, like, if you went to, like, the, the college campus computer lab and the browser was always up or, or was already up and maybe it was already at the, the login page for your email or something. Well, someone could have sat down, copied down like the, uh, the session token for, you know, the email page, got up and left. And then you go log in with that session token and your username and password authenticate. And now that session token has been authenticated. And so basically back in the day, they used to tell you just to always generate a new uh, authentication token for every time the person logs in. That's how you would get around it. So uh, I haven't read ahead here. Actually, I didn't do the reading. Sorry, uh, today I t- even I had time and I just didn't do it I forgot. Honestly, so I don't know that time. I've
0: ever heard of this one.
1: No, like, yeah, the, this one's weird, right? Like it's a reverse takeover. It's you know you set something up and then somebody actually goes and authenticates and now you've got control of of what they did. Um, and they said that this was predominantly a problem when the session tokens were passed around in URLs. And it brought to mind immediately, um, Jay-Z and I used to do Mm -hmm. a lot of cold fusion. And I remember back in the the books that you buy, like advanced CFML or whatever it was, they would actually tell you, hey, pass CFID and CF token around. And the problem is somebody would email their page, right? They'd copy the link to their page and email it to somebody else. And then that other person would get their session automatically, right? Um, Yeah. there were you. Yeah, so... Uh, at any rate, it's probably not as big nowadays.
2: Yeah, I can't even remember the last time I heard of it, but I, yeah, even banks and stuff. I remember our computer lab, and this was like in the '90s, late '90s. Uh, the computer lab would have like signs like about shutting the browser down, not 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 using the browser, clearing the cookies before logging into banks and stuff. Uh, I, I don't remember all the details anymore, but that was the whole idea behind it. Uh, And yeah, just the idea that the cookies are client side, so uh, you can't implicitly trust it. You you see a lot of apps too that will kind of, when you log in, they'll say like, "Hey, do you want to remember your stuff? Is this a private computer or a public computer?" And they'll kind of do that sort of thing. Or like if you're uh, ever at like a hotel, you know, uh, if those still exist, uh, business center. Yeah, business center, and you uh, you go log in. It's good practice to kind of do the whole incognito window. Uh, Just I I don't
0: care. I if we're talking Just specifically about a business center, I don't yeah. care. There's no reason. There's no way you will convince me to log in on, on one of those public computers. If it's at a yeah. business center or a bank or like, or not a bank, I'm in a library. Uh, like remember like the days of like, you know, when internet cafes were a thing and I'm like, yeah, mm-hmm. I would never use somebody else's computer to log into anything. I don't care like how, you know, uh, Team, Like, you know, it doesn't have to be anything sensitive, like bank account information. Like I, I'm not logging in. <laughs> right. I
2: don't yeah, want you watching my Netflix, the that's the 25 key loggers they've got it's installed not, a, on there. It's not yep. you,
0: them watching your Netflix. It's them yeah. getting into your account and then seeing like, oh, now, uh, here's, here's more information about like how he paid for it or his billing address or whatever. Right. I, I don't, <laughs> there's, I can't for the
2: life of me see why that's a thing. Yeah. Not with cell phones anymore, but, you know, right? long time ago. Way back machine. It used to be pretty common. Uh, yeah, so how do you secure and verify sessions? So one thing you do is basically add extra inf- pieces of information to the session that you can verify when the uh, request is actually made. Have um, you ever heard of HMAX? I have. Yeah, it's a way of like, uh, yeah, anyway, uh, doing this sort of thing. And there's also nonces. Uh, we'll probably, uh, I should have done the reading. It's probably going to talk about all this stuff. It's basically No, it doesn't it, doesn't. it doesn't about <laughs> <go> that deep. <laughs> no. Uh, yeah. No,
1: but, but that is what you're talking about, right? Like the nonce, like uh, you should probably at least describe it so that people have an idea because they were very liked on this.
0: Nonce literally stands for, it. like spell in spell you once, number used once. Mm-hmm. Yep.
1: Yeah, that's and, pretty and cool. And that's really when the, when the session's created, that nonce is added to the thing. So if somebody comes back, then they can verify
2: that, you know, this is where it came from. Yep. It stops like replay attacks where right? right. you can imagine where someone like logs in and you manage to catch their web request. And now you log in, you replay that. And now you're logged in from a different computer.
0: Well, it can also uh, get confusing here too, though. Like when you talk, when you start talking about nonces, because when you start talking about nonces, it's easy to like start drifting into like an encryption or a security, yeah. you know, uh, transport layer type conversation because in the underlying, uh, TLS connection part of that exchange can and will likely include a nonce exchange back and forth between client and server.
2: Yep. Yeah. So they kind of agree on some information and they send it back and forth and that way they know if somebody else, uh, you know, tries to either replay or tries to like intercept and interject and kind of throws things off. I
0: I guess where I'm going with that though, is I wanted to be clear that like the session management that we're talking about now is like in your application. We're talking about like application layer session management. And if you were going to use a nonce you know, for anything going on, but then we're still in that layer. We're not at the lower level of the transport layer where right. it might also be doing some of these same concepts.
2: Yep. And uh, so the, the main gist of this is use these tools to make sure that your session hasn't expired and ensure that your uh, expirations uh, are set properly for a session. So you might you create a session that never expires. Uh, that's a bit of a problem. So you, you don't want the client to control that stuff. And you want to have protection in there, uh, against that sort of thing. And, and all this stuff catches kind of easy stuff. Like I, you know, I mentioned the replay attacks. Uh, another one story from back in the day. Uh, there was a, uh, Firefox extension called Firesheep. You remember this when this came out? I do not remember that one. Uh, it would basically monitor Wi-Fi traffic. Just, uh, you can go to a Starbucks or something, uh, pop up Fire Sheep and see what people were doing around you. And this was back before https was really common. And so well lots of people logged into sites with just http. They was in their username and password and you could see that all that stuff just being played across the network. You just sit there and watch it. And this uh, this extension Sheep, just made it really easy. I'm sure there're much better ones. That was the first one where I like saw it and I was like, "Oh no. <laughs> we can never do this again." Because the person just like had this video of them showing, you know, people doing stuff all around them in the coffee shop and it was like, "Oh no." And you're not talking about Wireshark. No, no. This is just a fire Firefox extension. Like literally in a browser, you like click a little button. It's like, okay, here's all the interesting traffic going on near you that's not generated by you. That's crazy. Hmm. Yeah, and you could, you could use it to even figure out like passwords and stuff for a while like Wi-Fi. This is yeah. I mean, this is a trip down memory lane. But uh, there used to be less secure ways of authenticating to uh, Wi-Fi that are much easier to uh to kind of watch a few messages go by and get in there. Uh, computers were way more i'm sorry if you if you're just getting this stuff now things were way cooler like 20 years ago because you could just do all sorts of stuff you weren't supposed to do
0: we didn't care like you wanted to play the game and you wanted to make the bad guy easier to kill just recompile it like change a couple settings
2: game genie yep change a few hex keys oh game genie wow (laughs) that's that's a trip down memory lane yeah, and the developers back then, they didn't really have good ways of like the tools and builds. So someone reminded me of this. Um, there were a bunch of like hacks, on, not, not hacks, there are a bunch of uh, things you could do on like old Nintendo's. Like, if you held the button down on this controller when you started it, then it would put you in like debug mode. You could do this stuff and you could test because they didn't have you know good ways of like doing debug builds and tests and just all those sorts of little things. So, like even cheat codes and games. A lot of those were because developers wanted to uh, be able to test the game and they didn't want to have to you know <laughs> be play the game perfectly to get to the last boss. So they like turn on invulnerability with some cheat code or something and then later it would leak and yeah. So and it was you could more fun.
0: You could edit those binaries. Because signing uh, signed executables wasn't a thing, or signed. Yeah, no nonsense.
2: Yeah, that's right. <laughs> no signed. Yeah, no, definitely no signed executables. No. yeah. yeah. So, so, additional ways to to make sure
1: that you keep your session safe, are make sure that the session ID is unique and random. The random is a very key part of this. Um, to ensure unique? when you're. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Unique doesn't matter. Just random. Well, if it's um, random
0: between 1 through 10, that's, you know, you, you yeah, checked one great. of the
1: boxes. Right, you did. You did. You didn't check um, them both, though. Also, this is interesting. If you're not doing this, you should check this. When you're sending client cookies from the from the browser up to the server or whatever, there's two flags that you need to make sure that you have set. One is secure flag, and the other is HTTP only. Um, the These will help... Prevent. And I forget exactly what they were. Um, I think the secure says that I can't remember how it's transferred. At any rate, it this, has to be a secure this, connection. It can only go. Was over it a these, secure connection? Yeah, it can only okay. be.
0: It can only be uh, sent. It can only ever be sent over a secure connection. So you can have secure and non-secure cookies. Okay. And right. if you made your connection to the website back in the day when we used to use HTTP, if you made the connection to the site first is http then those secure cookies wouldn't go over until you flipped which was sure. usually because you like authenticated to the site
2: yeah and uh, http only is uh can be used only by like html basically the the it's an instruction to tell the browser not to allow uh, like javascript to access great. the value yep. okay
1: cool um, the other thing that's really important that a lot of people f- that this is probably where a lot of folks mess up is you need to make sure that you have the domain set on the cookie properly if you don't then just about any domain could hit it depending on how it's set up um and if you really want to make sure that you've got it locked down, let's say that you have a domain that has many subdomains you need to make sure that you lock it down to the particular subdomains you want so it's really important that you set those things properly as well, and and I'd say a lot of people don't even realize this when they're when they're messing with their cookies. Um. So, oh, this next one was interesting. Um, somebody highlighted they can take it. The domain. No, that was an accident. But uh, basically, the, go, yeah, ahead, go, go ahead.
2: ahead. <laughs> you got it. I was reading about fire sheep. You can go ahead.
1: All right, so. The session fixation thing, when we were talking about that earlier, where somebody would basically create a session, then then you'd log in and all of a sudden that person who initially set that thing up would have access to it. It's similar to what Jay-Z said earlier in that just make sure any that you're doing an authentication or whatever, you create a new session um, token. That way somebody can't hijack it based off just creating the the token ID previously. Right. Um, Because
0: if you were to, because otherwise, because the alternative is if every time Alan logged in, then he would get the same token, the same session ID, then that allows the session fixation hack to occur. Right. But if you, but that also means, that also means that you didn't adhere to it being random and unique all the time. True. So if you, every time they log in, they get a new random and unique session. identifier, then they, then you prevent the session fixation that I'd never heard of until pager duty.
1: (laughs) Awesome. I really hadn't. That's interesting. I mean, it's not something that you hear about much anymore at all, but, um, so another thing is, and we already mentioned this, don't put the information in the cookie, like anything that you're trying to do first name, last name, all that, don't put it in the cookie, keep it on the server side. And and that way it's available whenever you hit it. Um and nowadays then the, there's so
0: many cookies that get flown around with like every request. You know, you go you go to any web page and there's like eighteen Facebook uh cookies for, you know, all of its different properties and uh Google ones for all of their different properties, and then that way they can track you across the world and you know, everywhere crazy. you go, they can know like, Oh, I see that you're looking at uh guitars or comics, or whatever, you
1: know? And then it pops up everywhere you go from that point on.
0: Yeah. I saw that you were reading Spider-Man earlier. How about all of these showings for the Spider-Man
1: movie? It's insane, man. <laughs> um, Another thing they say is make sure that you have the expiration on the session also set on the server, right? You, you'll probably want it in your client as well, but make sure it's on the server so that it, you know, if somebody does come back tomorrow and they should have been logged out, but but if you didn't have anything set up for that, then they're just going to pick back up where they left off.
0: Asterisk. Because this is going to depend greatly on the type of application. True, You might true. very well want them to pick back up where they left off. Take like true. a Google Drive, for example, or anything, Google, a Facebook. You know, you, you want them to pick back up banking and financial no right you don't want your credit card you know company you don't want that you know that session to be alive you know for for much longer after you've been inactive that's a good point so some of these some of these security recommendations you have to like weigh with well what is the end goal of your application well like what's the expected user experience and you know maybe some of these are more applicable than others
2: yep totally yeah, we're so spoiled now. Not, not pretty much every framework now has a logout method, and it'll interact with whatever like Django has one, uh, ASB net, net has one. If you go off the rails and decide to implement your own kind of like login, password, kind of reset session, all that stuff, then that's when the stuff really becomes applicable. So, you know, wh- wherever you can, uh, definitely frameworks are so, so nice these days. Yeah,
0: yeah, and I definitely like some logging frameworks. This is a good time for us to mention our <laughs> new sponsor. Uh, Apache log for J Oh
1: God! Uh, and then, last but not least, never ever ever trust user input. Right? So, if you even if you do have things coming up from a cookie, check them and make sure that the values are what they are. Like like Jay Z was saying earlier. You know, back in the old, in the golden days. He would just swap his user type from user to admin, right? And then all of a sudden he had something. Well, on the server side, you can go and look and say, "Hey, uh, Jay Z is not supposed to be an admin, so he doesn't get these rights." So you know, make sure that you're you're validating the inputs that you're getting if it can be touched by a user. This episode is sponsored by Datadog, the monitoring and security platform for end-to-end visibility into your Java applications. Datadog provides out-of-the-box customizable dashboards,
0: actionable alerts, distributed tracing, and always-on low overhead Java code profiler for your production environment all in one place. Can you believe it?
2: All in one place. With support for over 450 technologies what? and automatic instrumentation for popular frameworks, you can start monitoring your Java applications alongside the rest of your stack in minutes. 450 is a lot. I didn't mean to go little John there, but what? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're very excited about uh, the dog tonight. And yeah, it's uh, with all those integrations, it makes it really easy to set up. You can Google for instructions. Everything's documented really well. You can see what you're going to get. And, uh, as we mentioned, the blog is really fantastic for seeing what kinds of things you can do with it and just kind of for inspiration, but really you don't have to go off the rails. There's so many great integrations that in dashboards that you get just out of the box. If you have, for example, Java, where you can go on, uh, click a few buttons, drop in the agent and start getting that benefit and that value immediately. It's, it's awesome.
0: Joe's not kidding. When he talks about their documentation being incredible, like they have, I don't know. Maybe they're like a technical writer company and we didn't know all this time that, that that's, that's their core uh, bread and butter there because like their blog is amazing. Of course, we're talking about Java. They have a whole article on Java monitoring and everything that you can do with Datadog, deep insights into your JVM performance, uh, how you can like code level monitoring for any environment, they have perfect documentation out there for it. Find what you need. You easily go to Datadog HQ. You'll find everything you ever wanted to know about Datadog. All the documentation. like how you can monitor anything that you ever wanted to monitor. I trust you. Like 450 plus integrations. I guarantee you, if you're using a tool that they aren't already monitoring, it's probably on their road. I wouldn't be surprised if it was on their roadmap. I mean, if they, they, they're just so good at it. So start your free... Data dog trial today to stop. Start your free trial. Start your free data. I, I I said, I said, I said, listen up, listen up, kid. Start your free data dog trial today to start monitoring in real time. Listeners of this podcast will receive a free t shirt
1: once you install the agent and create one dashboard. So, go ahead and visit datadoghq.com slash codingblocks. Again, that's datadoghq.com slash codingblocks to get started today. Okay.
0: Well, um, I guess our new version of this is howdy, y'all, and uh, please leave us a review if you haven't already. Uh, We would greatly appreciate it. You can find some helpful links there from uh, your good buddy, Alan, at uh, www.codingblocks.net slash review. And you uh, have a
1: good Texas country sound there. This uh,
0: is my Texas country. Is that what this I think one is? So. I, uh, think so. I I don't even know anymore. Uh so so yeah, don't forget about that new darn Spotify. They got a uh, they got them a new fangled uh, podcast
2: rating system too. <coughs> I can't even <laughs> <laughs> You've made it so far, don't give up. Yeah, that's right.
1: You know, it's like <laughs> <laughs> you,
0: you you do these voices for fun and then they come back to haunt you. Um, so, <laughs> uh, all reminds right. me a diddy. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So now we head into my favorite portion of the show. It's time for a joke. <laughs> I saw you. Yeah. You were trying to yeah. mock me. I saw you. Uh, huh. uh, huh. what? All right. Why did the A... Go to the bathroom and come out as an E. I don't know. I, I don't know. Because he had a vowel movement.
2: Oh jeez.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yep, that's right. The dad jokes will not get any better than that. All right. That's so good. uh now we head into my favorite portion of the show. Survey says, All right. So uh, a few episodes back, we asked Have you ever had to partition your data and your choices were ever more like always or on occasion? It's just another tool in my toolbox (coughs) or once. I don't want to talk about it or nope. Does that mean my data set is small or? Nope, not my job. All right. So according to TechCo's uh trademark rules of engagement, uh it is what is this episode 77? So Alan, you are up first.
1: I honestly don't know where people are gonna go with this one. Um I I think the overwhelming is gonna be nope, not my job. And let's go with thirty three percent.
0: Okay, okay.
2: No way, nope. I'm going to go with on occasion with 33%. <laughs> okay,
0: <clears throat> so this is this is interesting. Alan says, "Nope, not my job." 33%. Mathema Chicken said, "Mathema Chicken says, on occasion, 33%. You're both wrong. No, oh. nope. Does that mean my data set is small?" Is the top answer.
2: Okay. All right. Well, With here's,
0: what
1: percentage? Uh, that was 32%. <clears throat> oh, so we overshot it anyways. This was pretty well distributed then.
0: Here's where I thought it was interesting. Joe had the number two answer. Alan had the number three answer. Okay. All right. Yeah. All right. So I kind of won. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I thought you might find the, the, the uh, silver lining there.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just want to focus on the important part, right? right. That makes sense. I yeah, it. basically, I kind of one
0: happy thoughts, happy path. I get it. Um, except now let's talk about game jam some more, right? I mean, especially happy paths because I know while uh, Joe was working on his, he completely forgot about the happy path. He was so focused on the negative path. So, <laughs> <That's right. laughs> so uh, how about this? For today's survey for this episode, we asked, "How awesome was Game Jamuary?" And your choices were, or are, I learned so much, or I forgot how much time I need to play other people's games, or I thought my game was good, but oh my, some of these are profesh, or I now know. I, that i want to be a game developer or i now know that i do not want to be a game developer
1: and, and people could actually still go up and play these games right will they be able to by the time this is out or no oh, no
0: you can still go play last
1: year's games yep oh right yeah, yeah they're, well, I they're mean, always can you, available
0: once they're can up you on, vote
1: on them still like no when this is released, you can't okay. vote on like last year's
2: no this year's this year's when this is released No, That would have been a good idea, but the voting will have... Actually, it closes the day this episode drops. All right. So so you might be able to hurry up. So after you hear this, go play the games. (laughs) Yep. Or more importantly, just vote on the games. Vote on the games. (laughs) If you still can vote, definitely play them no matter what. Vote if you can. Yes. There we go.
1: This episode is sponsored by Linode.
2: Simplify your infrastructure and cut your cloud bills in half with Linode's Linux Virtual Machines.
0: Develop, deploy, and scale your modern applications faster and easier. Whether you're developing a personal project or managing larger workloads, you deserve simple, affordable, and accessible cloud computing solutions.
1: Yeah, you can get started on Linode today with $100 in free credit for listeners of this podcast. You can find all the details at linode.com slash codingblocks. That's L-I-N-O-D-E dot com slash codingblocks. Linode has data centers around the world with the same simple and consistent pricing regardless of the location.
2: You know, Linode has been running since 2003 with a mission to make cloud computing simple, affordable, and accessible to every developer around the world. And they've been they've been successful. They've been doing it for that long. Uh, I re- I can't remember when I first heard them, but it's been at least uh, like 10, 10 years uh, ago when a buddy of mine was running a, a site and doing really well on it. And it's still just as quick to set it up as it was back then. You just a couple of clicks, you can get uh, virtual machines set up, and just a couple of clicks, you can also get Kubernetes set up, which I've done now a few times, and and that's uh, a huge accomplishment that they're able to just provide you what you want as a developer.
0: Yeah, and if that's not easy enough for you, you can go to their marketplace and say, oh, I, you, know, you know what? I want my own VPN. I don't want to have to pay for anybody else's VPN. I want my own VPN. I can easily set that up on Linode. It's in the marketplace, open VPN. But you know what I really am interested in these days? I want Grafana dashboards for my Factorio game. So, uh, oh, but guess what? I can also set up Grafana easily from the marketplace. One click, install, done. With Linode. So choose the data center nearest you. You also receive 24 by 7 by 365 human support with no tiers or handoffs, regardless of your plan size.
2: And you can choose shared and dedicated compute instances, or you can use your $100 in credit on S3 compatible object storage, managed Kubernetes and more. Hey, if it
1: runs on Linux, it runs on Linode. Visit linode.com slash coding blocks. Again, that's L-I-N-O-D-E dot com slash coding blocks. And click on the create free account button and get started today. All right. So here we are back. We're in the final stretch. And this part. Just 25 more pages to go. That's right. Now we're going to talk about permissions. So. This is pretty interesting. Uh, th- these are these are some good things that come in here. So, like when we're talking about permissions, they're talking about making sure that you're limiting permissions on on the kinds of things that you have out there. So, like one of the things that they said is try to avoid using sudo in any shell scripts if you can. Um, and if I put avoid in there twice, that's that's confusing. But yeah, so is it sudo or sudo?
2: I would say sudo. Yeah, sudo. Yeah, but I, yeah mean,
1: I always said sudo to too, right? But some people say sudo, so I just went with one of them. All right. Yeah. Well, so, there are, those people are wrong. I mean, there are people that are wrong in the world, and those are those people. Oh,
0: speaking <laughs> but, of,
1: wait, wait, wait. wait okay, speaking before we of. go back, so this this reminded me sudo sudo um the whole gif gif thing and some of those other things, right? The sock sock shoe shoe thing came back up on Slack recently, mm-hmm. and Matts Carlson actually posted a thing. Have you guys seen this? Yes. To where that. It's like the internet has voted on all these things. So amazing, man.
0: Yeah. And I believe that the answer that he went with was sock, sock, shoe, shoe.
1: Yes. And it was overwhelmingly sock, sock, shoe, shoe. Well, it wasn't even close. It was like 80 to 20 or something.
2: Like it was. I don't know. I mean,
0: <laughs> I, I, I question those, uh, the people that voted there. Um, yeah,
2: I don't know need to, to find about. that link. I got to find yeah, out. They must have asked, like, Roblox or something. <laughs> Roblox <laughs> yeah. community. Bunch of I think same. they
0: asked, like, the same person, like, to answer it. A hundred times. A hundred yeah. times. And
2: oh, man. You know the show uh, Family Feud? Yeah. Yeah, and they get, like, a hundred people, and they ask them, you know, like, Hey, what are you doing? Dad leaves the house. And they'll like, get answers and people to guess. I'm like, Who are those hundred people they ask? Because right. I, I was at the dentist the other day watching it and, like, the things that those hundred people were saying, <laughs> were, I was like, no, <laughs> I know. I know what. I, I don't know the answer, but
0: I know if I was a producer of that show, how I would do it. Yeah. Do you want to hear? Did you do it? Yeah. <clears throat> well, you have a, a captured audience. Yeah. So, so I would ask people survey questions that I would use in a future episode.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's a good way to do. It. I, I would like to do it for that episode. So when you see the freaky stuff that people say allegedly, you call them out. <laughs> you can look around you and know, like, what those people really do when the lights are uh, off or you know whatever it is.
0: Yeah, I guess. Okay, yeah, because on, on I was thinking Prices Right where they would like come up, but you know to be a contestant. But yeah, you're right. In uh, Family Feud, they wouldn't. It's mommy.
1: <laughs> I know <you> have to. <laughs> oh my god! Now I gotta put mommy. a link to that. one. <laughs> yeah, we we need a link. Uh, mommy, Steve. Somebody's gonna.
0: Um, you know, somebody's wanting. I'm. I'm telling you. If you. Okay, listen, dear listener. I know we're on a tangent. <laughs> all right, and you're like, this isn't even the first one of this episode, and you're not wrong, and it won't be the last, but. If you haven't taken some time to just watch some of the best moments of Family Feud over the decades, like you can go to YouTube and you can easily find like, you know, Family Feud funniest moments or whatever. Oh, man, there are some gems out there. And what's best, I don't know if you've ever seen any of the ones where like it's not the stuff that was put to air. Cause like they'll show, they'll show like, there's definitely the best of clips where it's like, you know, what you saw aired on TV, but there's also other ones where it's like the full scene, like, you know, that, that where they cut it down because there's one, and it might be the mommy one specifically where like Steve Harvey was the host at the time. And he absolutely just loses his stuff. He's like, I mean, it goes on for a while. He's like, you got to be kidding me. And the audience yeah. is just losing it, right? Because <laughs> it's hilarious. I, I will definitely find the mommy one to, to put in the show notes. But yeah, there there's some... Just do yourself a favor.
1: Go go find them. And, and you're welcome for this, one. The, this yeah. one. This one, if it doesn't make you laugh, you have no... Um, humor in your soul <laughs> grab, grab a
0: bag of dots pretzels and sit in front
1: of youtube and you'll probably choke
0: laughing on the dots pretzels and you know maybe you shouldn't do that in case because we want you to keep listening so sure. don't choke on on that but yeah it's amazing stuff so what i was going to say though about uh going back to the to the show now okay so tangent over <clears throat> um uh this this kind of falls in line with the uh, uh, least uh, the principle of least uh, permission, right? Where like, you try to do all of your, your, you try to do all the execution of whatever has to happen, like scripts or, you know, other executables or whatever you try to have those run under the least permissive permissions that, that is allowed to get the job done. And then that way, Worst case, should uh, you know an attacker be able to uh, gain access to the system, and you know through that process possibly, then you know they are severely limited. So this is why you don't want to use uh, sudo to to do it because then you're like elevating it up to like maximum you know privilege uh, on the system and. You know, if the script that you were running in, the, as uh, you know, under sudo had the ability to, uh, you know, or or maybe had a bug to where somebody was able to take advantage of it, then guess what they're running as, right?
2: Yeah, and that's a that's a good way to escalate privileges for attacks too. Like we mentioned in sessions earlier. Uh, I don't know how you can configure it, but, uh, if you ever notice you run like, uh, two sudo commands or sudo commands in a row, like you typically don't get prompted again for the second one because it's got some sort of window on it where it's like, you know, we just asked you for your password. You're obviously doing it again. Uh, let's just go ahead. And so you can imagine, uh, if somebody can inject something into your script, uh, or, you know, get you to run some kind of code arbitrarily, then it's easy to kind of take that and then maintain that. And they can just keep that permission, which is bad. So even after the command that you ran it for, Uh, is finished and so yeah bad news uh and really you have to kind of ask yourself what you need to be root for when you're doing these kind of scripts so like i tend to think of like when i think of scripts writing scripts just for like little stuff around my computer automating things and so that's you know one thing but it's a whole other thing to have scripts running in like some sort of automation or build servers that are that are sudoing which is like a whole other kind of level of scary yep
0: it doesn't even need to be like i mean that definitely that's an example but like even with, um, you know, in the case of like you mentioned build servers, like, you know, shared credentials or whatever, you know, would also be bad too. Like, um, I guess you just, yeah, whatever. I mean, you want to be wise about how, how credentials and how el- elevation of privileges are used and use it sparingly
1: and wisely. Yep. And, and the other thing you want to do too is, revoke any permissions you don't need. Right. So I'd I'd venture to say as developers, a lot of times you'll, you'll set up permissions on something that you're doing to give you like as wide open access as you can get just so that you're not running into walls constantly. But when these things ship, you want to make sure that it's only got the privileges it needs to do exactly what it's supposed to do. Right. So if I, an example, like if you're in in google and you're dealing with pub sub right like there's there's a pub sub editor role there's a pub sub viewer role there's a pub sub subscriber role like know what you need that thing for and and set just that permission so editor gives you a bunch of them and that makes things easy but it also means that people can modify these subscriptions it means they can do all kinds of things with them when maybe all you want is somebody to subscribe so you know Lock it down only in, in if you run into something else that you need, then add that one permission. And this is I, I'm curious what you guys think about this. This is where where things get hairy. Um, so a lot of times in, in systems with permissions specifically, you'll see people want to err on the side of roles because roles kind of give give you a bundled set of granular permissions, right? But that kind of goes against the whole notion of just give it exactly what it needs. So uh, I'm curious what you guys think about the, the granular permissions versus the roles, right? Like, do you go to roles slash editor or do you do, um, uh, pub sub dot subscriber, pub dot viewer? Uh, you know, what do you do?
0: It's such a, it, it can be a, a real pain. Like the problem is, is like, there's this pendulum that's swinging, right? And on the one hand, you are just like just pseudo, forget it, just <laughs> just pseudo, right? And then on the other hand, you are like, oh, we need to have like granular controls, and you are like, okay, well now we have eighteen billion of them. Oh man, we swung right. too far the other direction, right? Yeah. And then you are like, okay, well then we'll just bucket a whole bunch of them together and call it like editor, and then you are like, okay, well maybe that's a little we swung back a little too far, but the but the problem is like you know you were mentioning specifically like GKE, uh, you know. Um, or no, not specific to GKE, but GCP. Yeah. Thank you. Um, but like Azure and AWS, like any of the cloud environments, uh, you know, uh, just there, there's so many of these controls that that it can really be a nightmare. Like, you know, I, I, I was thinking of the GKE environment because of all the The very many, 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 many different roles that you can have in your Kubernetes, you know, your Google Kubernetes environment, that it's it's frustrating, man. Like it's, I mean, I get it. Definitely having the granular specific ones and only using those is definitely going to be the most secure way to do it. And if you're doing something super secure like financial related or maybe because of like government restrictions or health restrictions you know but otherwise man
1: it's just like i just want to like get my stupid game jam game working (laughs) right oh it hampers you there's no question right like when you're trying to figure out okay i need this thing to work which one of these 20 permissions that are under this one role do i need to make this happen and it's uh, it wears you down sometimes and you're just like, I, I don't care anymore, but you, but you can't be that
2: way. And it's, it's hard. And yeah, either way, you need a whole process around approvals and kind of keeping track of that. Cause there's nothing worse than like seeing a user, not sure what it's used for. If you still need it, uh, who requested it? Like, does it actually need all this stuff? Like all, all that just, you, that process is so painful, but it's important.
1: Yeah, <laughs> totally. And, and so here's Fine, the next no, part of this it. that stinks. And I'd say that a lot of times we as developers, we as people who do this stuff, we don't do this is create separate users for, for separate needs. And the one that jumps out in my mind is database access, right? Like I I'd venture to say, if we had done our poll on, you know, how many people have a single user that accesses their database for their application, right? Like there, there's one thing that has DBO access to everything. That's, that's how a lot of things are done in a lot of places, in reality, you probably need things that are read only access users. You need things that can execute certain proc um, access. You need some things that can write. You need some things that can drop, create. Like that's the reality of what should be done. But in practice, it's just not done because it's so inconvenient to set it up and to manage all that stuff in a way that's not going to be a nightmare to try and get your application to work that, that it's just not
2: done. I like it so much, better. it's so nice to see like, Hey, this was, this was files created by this user or uh, this bucket was created by this user, not this role, not some generic user.
1: Right. Yeah. It's, that kind of stuff's frustrating but if you can and and if you have the where, wherewithal to to make it happen create separate users for those for those needs yep. um and, and this is so this is one thing that was interesting is they were like hey you know like if you need something that needs to be able to delete files from a bucket right like an s3 bucket or gcs bucket set up a service account with just that permission well, this is where things get nasty, right? Like you to have five hundred service accounts for each type of thing that you need to do. Maybe that's the right way to do. And to, to Outlaw's point, if you're doing something in the medical industry, you better do it anyways because it's your duty to protect that information, right? Um, if you're he doing said it in the duty, fo- duty. <laughs> 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 that's right, Beavis and Butthead style. <laughs> um, But, but yeah, I mean, so it kind of depends on what industry you're in and what the needs are, but you know, in some cases you got to do it. Um, they said the same thing. Like if you're managing computers, all that
2: kind of stuff, whatever, at least, least permissive, like outlaw said, this episode is sponsored by shortcut. Have you ever been really happy with your project management tool? Most are
0: either too simple for a growing engineering team to manage everything or too complex for anyone to want to use them without constant prodding.
1: Shortcut is different, though, because it's better. Shortcut is project management built specifically for
2: software teams, and they're fast, intuitive, flexible, and powerful. Let's look at some of the highlights. Team-based workflows. Individual teams can use Shortcut's default workflows or customize them to match the way they work. Organization-wide goals and roadmaps.
0: The work in these workflows is automatically tied into larger company goals. It takes one click to move from a roadmap to a team's work to individual updates and vice versa. And tight version control integration, whether you use GitHub, GitLab, Bitbucket, shortcut ties directly to them so that
1: you can update progress from the command line. They have a keyboard-friendly interface. The rest of Shortcut is just as keyboard friendly with their power bar, allowing you
2: to do virtually anything without even touching your mouse. Iterations planning. Set weekly priorities and then let Shortcut run the schedule for you with accompanying burndown charts and other reporting. Give it a try at shortcut.com slash coding blocks.
0: Again, that's shortcut.com slash coding blocks shortcut because you shouldn't have to project manage your project management.
1: All right. And now we're down to the final section and this is where they get into and they start talking about other classic vulnerabilities. And honestly, this section was really interesting. I know Jay Z, you didn't do your homework, so you're (laughs) going to miss out on some of this.
0: I mean, we're not going to call you out on it, Jay Z, but I mean, it wasn't that much reading, you know, I mean, he
1: called called himself out. So, so we could do that. Um, but there was some interesting stuff. We'll, We'll go through it. And then I'll tell you the one when we get there that I thought was so cool. Um, so there's the buffer overflow. Um, I, we've all heard about this. If you've never heard about how it's used in practice, it's kind of crazy. Um, basically data is being stored in a place that it shouldn't even be able to access, right? Like that more or less, that's what happens in a buffer overflow is, is you overflowed the buffer space and then data got stuck somewhere. It shouldn't be. Um, and these are usually, used to execute malicious code because what happens is the malicious code puts that malicious code in a spot in memory that's going to get executed it's almost like a callback after after the failure and then it just runs that code and that is how a lot of this stuff happens which is really crazy to think about.
0: yeah it anytime you can like crash an application, uh, if it's your application, you need to be worried because Isn't that's that insane where it this could probably happen
1: yeah that that's that's the crazy part. It's usually on an application failure when these things are executable. Um so this they start talking about like they they went into a little bit of detail on this like how this is done. and I'd never even heard of these things. So typically with a buffer overflow th- attack, there's this no op sled that they, it's a nop sled is what they call it. Um, but they basically fill up the stack or the buffer with a bunch of no ops, which are basically non operations, right? It's, it's more or less null, um, blocks that they put in here. And then after that, they put their malicious code at the end of it. And when the thing crashes, it more or less executes that last piece of code. So you had this huge empty set of buffer with the bad code at the end, and then it picks up, runs that thing at the end. And apparently, this is the part that was so cool to me, is it's really easy to get a root shell doing this. Like, they link to an article. I have a link down in the resources. But it's, it's nuts. Like, they show exactly how you can do this to get a root shell on, on a Linux box by doing this exact
2: thing. I'll be right back. Yeah. You ever seen, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you seen a, a demo of Metasploit? It's oh, like yes. A, yeah. It's like, I I don't even know how to describe it. just the application that makes it, uh, it's got a, a bunch of well-known exploits and tools for like shelling into things and, uh, just all kind of ready for you. So you can kind of like, browse around and try different kinds of attacks on systems and then try to get access. And when you have access, they have the t- the tools there ready for you to also uh take advantage of that access. So it's not just enough to just get uh just find a buffer overflow, but also once you find a buffer flow in order to actually exploit it and then give you a shell and you know be able to actually make do useful things with it. And so it's, it's, um, really cool stuff. You should watch it and be terrified.
0: It's basically like an application that has a library of all known vulnerabilities and exploits and you're like hey go over here and let's let's run it through and it'll be like okay uh, i found that it's vulnerable to these three which here's like the here's five options for each of these three that you can use
1: yeah Yeah, please don't be a jerk we're telling you about metasploit um no (laughs) so so actually disclaimer here we're not responsible for anything you do (laughs) with this like in all seriousness um if you if you go get that tool, know it's exactly what Outlaw said. Not only is it just have a bunch of libraries of these exploits, it makes it so easy to do the exploits because it's almost like an automated push-button fashion of doing it. Um, but know that if you do this and you get caught doing this on some server that's not yours, you could potentially go to jail or face major um Prison time, fines, whatever, right? So, so in all seriousness, Metasploit is scary. If you ever see it in operation, it's not hard to use, but but don't go out there playing with it on other people's stuff it, because it, it could be really bad. It's
2: basically,
0: <laughs> it's basically like this. We talked earlier in this series about the fact that um, there are databases of rainbow tables and whatnot that exist, right? And, and that was like a collection of like, here's known hashes and what the password, what that equals in terms of the password. And, you know, th- so like there's these databases of these things. And we've also talked about like, you know, pwn to own where there's databases of like, uh, the hash passwords and the users that go along with them. Right. Well, you know, in the, in the hackers in the, or a- attackers arsenal, they also have tools that can say, Hey, here's all the exploits that I know that exist for this operating system. Here's all the ones that I know that exist for this other operating system. Uh, Here's for this web, uh, uh, gosh, I want to think web server. Here's one for this web server. And you know, if they can get any kind of information about you, then they can like, kind of, uh, you know, start to, to tailor that tool to that specific thing. So, like one of the things that we talked about, and I think maybe in the last episode or not, but we had talked about like this, like kind of phishing exercise that you could go through. Cause like one, a part of that, like there's the new version of phishing where they refer to it as like email phishing scams. But you know, in that episode we had talked about a, you know, an older definition of phishing where it was just referring to like not leaking out any kind of information. Like, and in that particular episode, we talked about it in the, um, in regards to, Yes, that user exists, but you entered the wrong password. But there's also other forms of information leakage that could be like, what version of, uh, you know, Apache or Nginx is the is this web server running? What operating system is the web server running? There's like all those simple things, you know, several things that are out there like that. That all of those are like little bitty clues that are like, oh, I know. All joking aside, that that specific uh, thing is vulnerable to this version of Apache log for J bug. I wonder, can I take advantage of it? And so, yeah.
1: And the tools help you do it. Yeah. It, the, the tools it, are
0: just there to automate it.
1: Yeah. So again, we recommend being aware of them, maybe even taking them. And if you want to play with them on your own server, do that. Do not go hitting other people's website, servers, whatever, because like Jay-Z said, you can get arrested. You can go to jail. It's not a joke. Um,
2: it's nasty. It's also expensive. You know, so uh, Metasploit does have like a community version. But do you know how much the pro version costs? It ain't cheap. No. Yeah. All right, 15K a year. Wow. Yeah. I was going to wow. say 1500 I was way off. Yeah, I didn't. I had no clue it was so expensive. Yeah, yeah I thought so, it was a
0: one-time fee. But yeah, I didn't realize it was a yearly fee.
2: Yep.
0: Yeah, yeah uh, and
1: and I do know that a lot of companies actually have employees, you know, that that they pay to actually do this, right? Like um well there's I mean, red
0: team, blue team kind of thing. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, well, so
1: you'll have you'll you'll pay your employees to say, "Hey, I'm going to set up an entire environment that's just like our production environment, see what you can hack, right? See see how you can get into that." And that's, you know, that's the thing. So so two thoughts on that. First is
0: you know if you if you are hearing this and and weren't already aware or, and you're like, oh my how do how can I help protect my company? Like there are legitimate companies and services and tools out there that can scan your uh you know site, for example, your website uh, on a regular basis looking for uh you know these these uh vulnerabilities, right, and, and alert you. Um I'm sure that there's similar things for uh, internal network stuff too, but I, I, you know, I'm more familiar with the website ones, but um, it's interesting that you bring up the, the red team conversation though, Alan, because uh, I was just going through uh, some, uh, I was catching up on some of the security now episodes and they were talking about all the log 4 J uh, bugs that, you know, and, and were not all of the bugs, but just, you know, that whole debacle, Right. And the question came up of like, how could you like, is there a way that you could ever possibly write uh, bug free secure code from the beginning? Right. And of course the answer was like, well, pff, I mean, that that's a tall order. Right. So, you know, let's just say, no, it's not possible. But one of the, <clears throat> one of the uh, things to like, well, if you were to try to do everything that you could towards that regard, then you would play red team versus blue team. So, you know, your blue team is doing development, but you have a red team that's constantly attacking what you're, what you're developing to, you know, they're looking for stuff. So they would have this tool, like a metasploit tool or like other tools available to them. And they're constantly trying to find the pinholes in your application. And they're like, open up 15 new tickets for you. (laughs) You know, I mean, you'll hate them, but right. (laughs)
2: Yeah, uh, we didn't mention uh, path reversal too, but that's always a good one where uh, if you have some sort of script or something, I, I guess we talked about this a little bit with uh, with injection attacks, uh, you, you can make it so uh, other people can either uh, pass arbitrary files and get you to execute them or basically change the pass and do a couple dot, dot, dots and get you to execute some other program on... Uh, on the uh, server and Hey, guess what? Servers uh, a lot of times often have commands that can do like really bad things. Like even curl can be really bad. You can post a file out to some uh, arbitrary address. So people can do really bad stuff with that. And, uh, yeah. So basically just talking about when you're breaking out of that web server's directory and able to access and do anything else from somewhere else on the server, uh, just kind of scary stuff.
1: Yep. They also called out, you know, remember your dependencies that you use also have vulnerabilities, right? that node modules folder, <laughs> right? Yeah. I mean, Oof. yeah, there, there's so many things and, and you don't necessarily think about it, but the best way to mitigate and handle this is just like outlaw said, you need to have some tools that run scans on your stuff, right? Like you, that's, that's about the only way you can mitigate this because you can't stay on top of it and check these things. Like, I mean, it, it's impossible to do it in a manual way.
0: You, you bring up the node module. Did we, did didn't we just recently talk about the, the hacks that happened? I think it was like to faker JS and, uh, oh, yeah. there was another, well, they were attacks
2: though. Yeah, they, they weren't the author.
0: <laughs> they weren't, but they could have been so much worse. Yeah. But he, he, the author bricked like two of the modules that he was the author of. But, but you yeah. could see where like he, it could have been easy. And there are, there are attacks that happen to node, uh, specifically to JS packages. So the, one of the clever things that, um, and GitHub and other places do is uh, they can see all the repos that are using, you know, they have dependencies on certain uh, node modules and, and uh, warn you of like, hey, that one's got this particular issue. We've
1: gotten emails on those. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if it, the, the fact is, if you're doing any kind of JS development and you're using one of these main libraries, you probably got a notification at some point in time. Yeah, for yes. sure.
2: Um, uh, so uh, go ahead. I was just going to go on. All right, hit it. Oh, I was going to say, uh, some of the other things I wanted to mention. So side channel attacks, uh, such a, something, um, much less common, but still happens. And it's really interesting too. If you remember things that when, when people were talking about like row hammer and stuff, um, well, I don't know, maybe that's even a different kind, but uh, it's basically using information. That's not necessarily part of the process to get information about that process. So we've kind of talked about this a little bit where, um, yeah, you know, either that information is leaking somehow. Like for example, um, if you try to log in or something and the the thing the message comes back and says, Hey, that's not your password. Remember you changed the last month, or you know, as opposed to if you're a user, um, you know, that might be an example of something some information that you can kind of leak. Uh, and that's also related to timing attacks, which are um basically understanding how long processes can take and using that to figure out, for example, if a string matches or how close you're getting. And then, um, yeah, I mean, I I mentioned Rohammer, which is, I can't even describe accurately. So I don't even want to attempt it, but just uh, an attack that's kind of reminiscent of some of these categories we're talking about.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So the time, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, because one of them on here is like the acoustic cryptanalysis. And there have been some very interesting ones. I think the first one that I remember hearing about was that someone from uh, Georgia Tech had created an application for the iPhone to where the iPhone could listen to you type and they could figure out what you were typing. Your passwords. Based based on, based on the, you know, the sound that the micro, that the, that the iPhone was recording and that type of, that type of side channel attack is what, you know, it's completely disconnected from the computer. Right. And that's what that is. Like there, there've been movies too, like this, like, um, do you remember Eagle Eye? Do you remember that movie? I haven't seen it. It had, um, um, oh man, uh, I'll, I'll look up, I'll look it up see who it is. I'll put a link to it in IMDB. But anyway, any rate, like one part of the movie is where like, you know, the, the super computer, super AI computer, it was looking at the vibrations that were coming off of a bag of chips oh, to yeah. figure out like what was being said. Right. Like, I mean, that's a, that's a Hollywood example, but, uh, you know that's what the the acoustic cryptanalysis is talking about is like where you're using it sound and there've been like all kinds of crazy examples of like that going through uh, walls um people like uh you know figuring out from the the sound of the fans what you're doing it's crazy examples
1: it's yep. insane yeah i've actually heard of them listening to the sound of the electricity going through the stuff right like they can they can actually really Deeply identify information.
2: Yeah, uh, PagerDuty has an example of power analysis, which is kind of similar. Basically, using the power draw to figure out what might be going on at a very, uh, very detailed level, which is really crazy. Although, we'll say with all this stuff, like we're definitely getting into exotic stuff. Uh, For the most part, if you look at uh, pop ten, they say every year, like people, like the most common exploits are the most common, like basic stuff. It's like phishing attacks is like number one. Every single year, so while, yeah, maybe, maybe someone can listen to your bag of chips on your desk. That's not going to be the thing that gets you. Probably it's probably going to be the password on the sticky note. You know.
1: Yeah, yeah. Let's be real. If it were going to be the thing that got you, like the bag of chips, that's the stuff that they're trying to attack governments with, right? They're not trying to attack consumers with that.
0: I was going to say, like, th- th- that would that type of thing specifically would probably be like a nation-state actor that's going to do it, yeah. and it's a very targeted effect or uh, attack. And even then, those types of side-channel attacks. Uh, whether it be through the power or through the sound or whatever, there they're usually the fidelity is not nearly as good, right? Like they're they're you know, if I press my key, if I press the G key on my keyboard, my computer has a you know incredible fidelity that it knows like you press the G key. But you know, if it's an iPhone listening to it, then it's like I I have uh, you know, a, a 67 or, a, you know, a 47% confidence that the G key was pressed. And so, you know, they get, they get, you know, pretty good results. You know, you know, they get some impressive results, but it's not to the same level, you know?
1: Yeah. It, it's way more complicated for trying to get data on systems that are way harder to get access to. Right. Which is the only reason they're doing it. And the last one that, that we had here for the uh, side channel attacks was data remnants. So, basically getting data from things that you thought were deleted. And this was a really big thing with, with hard drives, right? Like people would throw away their computer or, or, you know, turn it in or whatever, sell it. And they thought that they had erased it. And there was a thing called secure wiping of drives that, you know, when you got into data forensics and whatnot, that was a really big thing. I actually remember when I was in college. So this has been, you know, a year or two ago, um, there was a guy that came in that was talking about that, and he said, you know, when they were when they would go in and do cyber um, forensics or whatever and go into a place and get data, when they were done with those drives, they would wipe them like 20 times, right? Like doing the secure wipe so that there was no trace of things. And that was the first time I'd ever heard about it. So if you don't know about this, when you're writing, reading and writing on hard drives, you know, you're saving ones and zeros. Well, if you just wipe it, a lot of times, you know, you're only zeroing out sectors here and there. You're not doing the whole thing.
0: Oh, you're not even doing that. That was the thing it's originally. The tables, right? Originally, yeah. you weren't even deleting the the data. Right. You were deleting. There was a file allocation table, which is what the what, what the FAT file system was originally right. named after. You were just deleting that, which had the pointers to you to know the uh, users dot text starts on this address. So. Right. The data was still there, so you could still go and, like, try to, you know, manipulate it, figure it
1: out, and, you know, piece it together yourself if you had the right tools. Yep, whereas a forensic wipe would actually go through every single bit on the drive and write it, rewrite it, rewrite it, rewrite it, so that it'd get rid of any magnetic trace of whether or not it was a one or a zero, right? It would try and get it close to neutral as possible.
0: In in on current drives, this is less of a need because, uh, you know, if you're if you're using an encryption to, you know, as, as part of your right. bit like a BitLocker or File Vault, depending on your operating system, or you know, you're using something else like you know, Rumor of the days of TrueCrypt, um, like whatever it is, it, it's kind of It's it's less of a need now, but like. On Windows, for example, there's the Cypher executable spelled with an I, -I, Mm C-I, uh, that you can use to wipe the drive, a drive, or you can use it to wipe the free space of an existing drive. And in Mac OS, I haven't checked in like recent versions, but I know on older versions where, you know, before they were using solid state, um, they had the, uh, in the disk utilities, you could format the drive or, or erase the free space. Well, I mean, either way, they Mac OS referred to it as erase, but, um, you could specify the security options. And one of the options was like a 35 pass, I think it was. And in both, in both cases for Mac OS and uh, the Windows operating system, the way those two work is it does one quick write. Where it runs through every sector of the disk writing zeros. Then it does a second, uh, quick run through it where, uh, every sector of the disk, it writes a one. And then it does another pass where it'll write something random. And the random steps are where you spend all your time because (laughs) (laughs) writing the ones and zeros, even on large drives, it's like, you know, I mean, it takes some time, but it's, it's pretty quick, but you know, because it's not deterministic in how it's coming up with the random part that it's writing, that's where it spends all of its time, you know, doing it. So it can take a while depending on the size of the drive.
1: But it is really interesting that, or, or if you didn't know this, that, you know, people can recover data off drives and whatnot. If you, if you never knew that. So
0: you'd want to have a really good reason for doing it on an SSD. Uh, You know, it, you know, if you didn't use encryption on it already, because if, if it was an SSD that you cared about and you wanted to reuse over and over and over, you know, after that, you'd really want to think through using either of these kind of utilities. And, and I'm, I'm positive that Linux has something similar, but I, I just don't know it off the top of my head is probably like a DD command or something. But, um, uh, you know, y- you could, because with SSDs, you know, you don't want to you don't want to wear out the chemical as you as you write to it, you know, because they have a limited uh, read write shelf life.
1: Right. So I think we have reached the end of pager duty. Yeah,
0: yeah. we we have reached uh, Neil Patrick Harris. <laughs> and uh, wait, did I say that right?
2: Neil Patrick Harris. All right. Well, uh, if we zip to this next part, we can be done in less than three hours. Let's do it. Yeah, actually, this one's pretty good. So uh, we got right, a bunch Who's of resources we like. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we'll have a bunch of resources that we like, uh, including links to the things that we mentioned, like um, Fire Sheep, uh, Metasploit. Um, it's a me. It's a mommy, I, which I've never seen that. So I'll be watching that later. Are you serious? Oh, yeah, I don't man. know what that is. You can thank us. Yes. Uh, yes, Very excited. Oh, man. I uh, almost had us. Uh, anyway, so we're on to uh, tip of the week. Oh, but I'll, I'll, I'll say, oh, man. Jeez. <laughs> In the shine shop, I just got excited by Alan's tip because I almost used one from him too. But anyway, outlaw, take it away. All right, so before we
0: do this, I don't want us to, I want to make sure we blow the three hour mark. So before we do that, I want to take a quick <laughs> tangent, if I may, if I might, if you don't mind. I'm just kidding. Uh, with that, we head into my favorite portion of the show. I'm sorry, it's Alan's favorite portion of the show. Joe threw me off. I blame Joe. It's the tip yeah. of the week.
1: Yeah, baby. All right, so I was totally unprepared this evening which is why our Slack channel is so amazing. So if you haven't been there, first off, you should go there codingblocks.net slash Slack. If you, if you can sign up there, I believe, right? Jay-Z, I think you fixed that. Yep, we got a link. Killer. Um, so go check it out, but there is a tips and tricks channel in our Slack community and it's amazing. And Simon Barker, who is also awesome and is always leaving good stuff in there. He had one that I thought is useful especially in this world that we live in where we're still a lot of us doing remote work and zooms and um, you know, whatever meetings you're in team zoom WebEx, whatever uh, there is a tool, a software tool that you can get. And it's from re slash camo. And you can use your phone as like a pro level type webcam. So if you don't have the money to go drop on a DSLR with a nice lens and all that kind of garbage, you don't want all that sitting on your desk. Anyways, this is a good way to get really good video way better than any webcam that you're going to get with a device that you already have by installing some software. And I, I went and looked at it and it does look pretty nice. So, um, now just a you pro know, tip here. Yep. Yep. If you do this, right?
0: And you're on the meeting and you think you're being all sly and you're like I'm going to mute it, I'm going to go to the bathroom real quick and I'm going to take my phone with me to like read some stuff while I'm in there.
1: <laughs> Just saying. Yeah, leave your phone or or have another device, take your iPad. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean this this looks pretty good. Like in all honesty, they've got they've got some color correction, they've got like this whole, you know, Boca type effect for the background and all that. Like it, it looks like it's really good. So, yep. um, you know, use what you already got. And if you've got a Samsung Galaxy S twenty one Ultra, you can even use that hundred megapixel camera on there. Put it to use, That's right? Crazy. Zoom in on the zit on your face, like at yeah. you know thirty x, and Why? you'll be good.
0: Why? Why? Why wouldn't you? Why, Why would go you? there?
2: Why wouldn't you? I mean, you need to show it off. That's right. <laughs> Oh, boy. Well, Man. speaking of Simon Barker, <laughs> uh, I almost had a, a tip from him. Uh, did do you know that he has a podcast? I did, I did. So, yeah, I just found out about this. I don't know. Uh, so, yeah, Simon's fantastic. You should follow him on Twitter. Uh, I'll look that up in a second. I have it linked <laughs> in the show notes. But he's got a podcast. He's in the middle of rebranding it, though. That's why I didn't bring it tonight. Uh, so he's going through a little name change here. So next week, that'll be my tip.
0: I told you uh, naming is hard. Yeah, is. for real.
2: For real. Um, so yeah, check out uh Simon Barker. And also uh this tip of the week, uh, I had struggled. Uh so I went to uh the you know, we've got that link where you can submit tips. If you go to CB.show slash tips, uh you can submit tips, which is great for me. Uh and so I'm stealing one here uh from uh, twenty twenty from micro G, who we talk about all the time. Uh I awesome. never heard of that name. How do you spell that? <laughs> right. Yeah, uh, (laughs) Mike RG, uh, (laughs) a phenomenal Lego photographer also. Uh, So he sent this tip. Uh, There's a great site for learning VS code, like all the ins and outs, shortcuts, in-depth, a bunch of courses uh, on keycombiner.com. And uh, they've got a bunch of courses there. Some are free. I think it's maybe one in each section. I just did a couple of them. And um, they'll just walk you through, get you really familiar with the shortcuts, teach you how to like navigate, navigate around files. And it's just, it's amazing how many life improvement tips there are in there in Visual Studio Code that you may have never heard of. They also have ones for uh, IntelliJ. I haven't checked those out yet. And also things like Gmail, just other kind of software that you're probably using, which I thought was really interesting. So you're going to be spending a good portion of your life with this stuff. Like, you might as well figure out how to use it. So I'll have a link to that.
0: So is it just me or are you able to get to the site, Alan? Hold on. Let me click it. I can't I wanted to see this and I can't
1: I am being
2: redirected yeah maybe it's down I, I hit it too hard I think you did
0: maybe I need to like
2: it's not working maybe I have yeah, a plug in I doesn't right. like
0: oh
1: okay so it's not just me Whew. okay yep. all right it'll be back up by the time this episode's live we can
2: guarantee yep. it, it I was either, there earlier today
0: either one of two things it'll either be up by the time this episode is live or by the time we're done talking we're not sure which is going which to come first, first.
1: Yeah. right? <laughs> but it's going to be one of them. There's, you know that, we're
0: pretty sure it'll be one of them.
1: Dude, that reminds me of Spaceballs, where, where they uh, they put in the tape and they catch up to real time. And they're like, "Who, Wait. Zerk. What happened <laughs> to down. then?" That's right. What well, then is now? All right, we passed right, it. Good. When? Move Just now. Yeah. What Just is this? Off. This is now. Now. <laughs> I can't believe you remember all that almost verbatim. That's insane. How do
0: you know? That movie was so great. It really is good. All right. All right. Sorry. Well, all right. So, for my tip of the week, I come prepared with a joke. So, how does a scientist freshen their breath? I
2: don't know. No, I got nothing. I got nothing. With experiments. <laughs> oh, that's awful. I love it. <laughs> okay. So, that's,
0: I like that one a lot, actually. So, you're welcome. Uh, no, brighten your day. So, uh, speaking of Visual Studio Code, uh, Joe's tip dovetails nicely into mine with all the amazing things that you can do with it. So, uh, you can also use Visual Studio Code as your merge tool. For Git, so I'm gonna give you a link to a Stack Overflow answer that easily shows you, like, here's what you need to do. If you want to do it by command line, here's the, you know, four commands you can just copy paste it, boom, done. If you want to do it manually, here's what you need to edit in your Git config, and you know, done. But either way, uh, super simple. So I ran into this because uh, normally. I, or at least historically I've used K diff for my, um, if I, if you know, for the visual merge tool and I was on a new environment and I just, I wanted to install as little as possible. So kind of thinking in that same, like, you know, uh, uh, least privilege thing. I wanted to also like install the least amount of stuff, not because I was necessarily worried about like, you know, um, like surface attack platform or anything like that, but you know uh, or surface, uh, you know, attack area surface or anything like that. But I just didn't want to install if anything, if I didn't need it, if I, if I could get away without it. So uh, yeah, so that's how I came across this and it's pretty cool. It takes some getting used to, but I do like it. Yeah. Personally as well. Uh, And then there was another article that was floating around on um, hacker news about a week or so ago the five easy to miss Postgres query performance bottlenecks. So I thought this was a pretty cool article. I had some uh, interesting little tips in here. There were some, some of the things I was like, yeah, okay, that makes sense. But some of them I was like, whoa, I didn't know about that one. Um, so yeah, I'll, I'll include that link in there as well. And uh, yeah, with that, I guess we still got some time to go before we bust that three hour mark. We got any more tangents? Anybody wants to cover? Otherwise, uh, yeah, we hope you enjoyed the show. We, you know, really huge thanks to, uh, companies like PagerDuty that, that put out, uh, you know, interesting engineering blog articles and whatnot. I mean, I know we've talked about Uber and Netflix and, uh, Twitter and, and, you know, PagerDuty companies like them that put these out. They're like, it's, it's super awesome that, uh, you know, companies are willing to share things that they have found that worked for them and whatnot. And, you know, uh, we're happy to spread that around when we find when we come across it. So, uh, if you haven't already subscribed to us, you know, because a friend like pointed to this random link and you're like, listen to what this guy sounds like his, listen to his Texas accent. Uh, if you want to listen for more of my Texas accent, uh, you can uh, find us on iTunes or Spotify or Stitcher and more using your favorite podcast app. And, uh, you know, like I said before, if you wouldn't mind, we would greatly appreciate it if you would, uh. Leave us a review. You can find some helpful links there at www.codingblocks.net slash review.
1: Hey, and while you're up at codingblocks.net, going through all of them. Be sure to check out our show notes, our examples, discussions, and more. And send your feedbacks, questions and rants to the Slack channel at codingblocks.net slash Slack.
2: And be sure to follow us on Twitter oh, at CodingBlocks or head over to CodingBlocks.net. <laughs> Find all of our social links there at the top of the page with that i'm echoes from 90.7 so <laughs> dot net.
0: did you say your
1: echoes yeah you were listening to
2: echoes that guy that guy's got the best radio oh voice
1: oh my gosh oh. that's amazing i, I you were love just that making that up
2: no you never listen to echoes no oh, like, heard of weird heard of like things. world and ambient music that they play late at night on a on a like public broadcast- broadcasting stations. Mm-hmm.
1: That was amazing. Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, this is echoes. <laughs> yep, that's exactly. We don't need we
1: a repeat
0: of it now, and it was bad enough mm-hmm. the first time. It was good. I, I think. I think I'm gonna. It was clearly like it. like that was the one that made me cringe as I was listening to it. <laughs>
2: Like, That's. Exa- I mean, that was the guy. Like I, that was perfect. That it. was an impression, not a joke. Nailed it. I, I, <laughs> uh, I will. I will have that as like a future survey.
0: Like, did
1: Joe nail it?
2: I'm find out. We'll have a link in the show notes. That's right.